What's up, everybody? Bruno Mars is accused of stealing from black folks and more. We're talking about all of this on Black Hollywood Lives this week. You are tuned in to Black Hollywood Live this week. Tonight we gon' pop in the drop-top city as our backdrop Cruising by the smoke shop, no cop gunshots Malibu rooftop, drop ten shots Cause tomorrow is an afterthought Tonight we gon' pop in the drop-top city as our backdrop Cruising by the smoke shop, no cop gunshots Malibu rooftop, drop ten shots Cause tomorrow is an afterthought Lights Ugh, that's All nice. I'm like, like it. I'm dropping that beat right there. All right, what's up, everybody? Welcome to Black Hollywood Lives this week. I'm your host, Daryl Christian. Joining me is the alter ego of Courtney Stewart. <laughs> right? Vanity Stewart is in the house. What's up, y'all? <laughs> what's up, Vanity Stewart? Changing it up. Changing it up. Yeah, I see what you're different. Little, you know? Looking a little different. Is this going to be part of the conversation we talk about later about Ooh. black women getting tired of how they need to present themselves um, in the work know, environment? I don't know. Maybe it was inspired a little bit by that. You I'm know, feeling we'll it, though. I'm feeling it. Looking good. Both of you guys are looking so good. I was just saying before we well, went Jeff, live. You just, wait, you just killed your introduction. Let I me introduce, introduce you first, uh, bro. Okay. Also join us as the talkative <laughs> Jeff Graham, who I he's going to get mad turn. at me, but that but was no, his that track. Was that was his track. Yeah, Yo, that means we head. came into yeah. with Jeff Graham. Yes, I knew, I knew we were talking about cultural appropriation, so I was like, guys, I have a rap. <laughs> <laughs> Give him some love for that track. You're going to be able to get it soon, right? You Can't they get it soon? I, I've got to figure out what some, I want to do with it. you got to put it out, I mean, you got to put it out, bro. Well, if, you, if you guys, like, let me know in the comments. What did you think? Yeah. Um, or tell people where they can listen to it. You if, know? It ain't yeah. Right? Well, I mostly moonlight as a comedy rapper. So if you guys are interested, I do um, have a comedy rap album. You can find it on Spotify. No, on SoundCloud at Graham Cracker Rap. Is where you can find it. Um, my host name, if you're curious, is Jeff. I've been here before. Thanks for yes. having me back, guys. Well, I just want to well. say both of y'all are looking very, very mm. nice today. I just got a haircut Yo. today. So. Yeah, you're all. Mm, I nice. feel like very um, scrub, scrubby. Nah, no. you got the rap, so you're good. You oh, the there you go. I also want to give a shout out to Anthony in the booth, who uh, always chimes in and, and keeps us uh, efficient hey, hey, on hey. this show. <laughs> so, uh, what up, Anthony? Hey, everybody. All I'm right. Anthony. You can find me ever at Tony B Tony underscore. The B is just the letter B. Oh, there you go. Hey, brother. All, All right. right. He's probably gonna be appearing on that rap album soon. I know. Ooh. I know. As I, I know. have. In yeah, Daryl is on my comedy album. Just oh. so you guys know. I yeah. didn't even know that. I need yes. a new, I need a new uh, upgrade, you know. Yeah. I won't charge you this time either. You know? <laughs> Fair enough. Next time. <laughs> Next time. All right. Um, we got a lot of topics today to go through, so let's uh, start off with something. We're going to start off with making history, because, you know, we got white rappers in the building making history. <laughs> so we're going to talk about how the box office made history this week. Um, this past weekend, uh, it was the first time that two black directors held the two top spots for these mega-budget films. Of course, the films are Black Panther, which stayed in the number one spot, and Crossed that $1 billion mark Woo, worldwide. And Wrinkle in Time made its premiere on the box office chart, and it was uh, number two, and it made $33 million. So everybody showed up and showed out and supported, and everybody was super excited. And Ryan Coogler, director of uh, Black Panther and Ava DuVernay, um, showed much love over social media for their amazing feat of conquering the box office together. And so you saw Wrinkle in Time, right? I did. I've seen and both you, films and Wrinkle in Time. Okay. Wrinkle in Time was really great, and it's a really great kids movie. Mm, that's right. Okay, that's what I felt like. Yeah. It was more kids. It is definitely, and I think that I can recall, I read the book when I was a kid, and I really wanted to read it again before I saw the movie. I just forgot and didn't have time and whatever. And so there's a lot of stuff that I don't remember, but I really remember loving it as a kid. And I do feel like some of the translation didn't quite make it on okay. the screen, but I do, I have a 12-year-old went with, and she had a great time and thought it was the best movie ever. So I Good. think it's definitely a kids movie. 
And if you don't know the book, you're probably not really going to think it's amazing. You might not get it, but it's beautiful it. okay. regardless. Like visually, it visually like it's yeah. beautiful. How is Oprah? <laughs> she looked amazing. The hair and makeup, like that they did for the um, Mrs. Witch and Mrs. Who's It, What's It, whatever it is, like they all did some really cool um, hair, makeup, and costume design. I was, if I'm being all the way real, I was a little uncomfortable with Oprah's performance. Like it was kind mean? of awkward. It was very stiff, stilt, stiff, and yeah, yeah. Really? It was just, it was not, it was not. And I, we all know Oprah's was a great she actress. To be, really good was she supposed to be? But, that, no, no, that. no, no. Like even if she would, like she's supposed to be uh, regal and you know, Oprah-y. strong and stoic, maybe a little, but not like it was just awkward and uncomfortable. Huh. And, really? Yeah. It, it, it just didn't, I don't know. I've heard people say it almost feels like Oprah was cast as Oprah. Yes. I, I feel like she definitely did not transcend her Oprah-ness yeah. and that probably made it that much. It was just weird. Really? Welcome to the field. Yeah. <laughs> it was, we have a wrinkle and it's in time. That's actually really good, Chad. Let me find out. Let me find out how you're going to do Oprah impersonations. <laughs> I'm not going to do that. That's hilarious. But overall, they did a great job, and it's a beautiful movie. You should check it out, especially if you have kids, and it's a great inspirational movie for kids, I think. so. I want to see it. Yeah. I mean, Ava DuVernay's a brilliant, yeah. brilliant filmmaker. Yeah. So yeah. I'm going to see just, it. Anyway. Everything she's touching. She's she's like Oprah. Everything she's touching yeah. is just it's turning to gold. doing wonderful. Yeah. yeah. Well, speaking of things turning to gold, we just talked about the Black Panther turning all gold and silver and platinum and all that. Yeah. Well... There's some rumor on the street that we might get a little special spinoff from the Black Panther series because obviously we were we were notified basically that Black Panther two duh, is coming. It made a billion dollars, of course it's coming. And while making Black Panther one, they had already sort of started thinking about what they would do with Black Panther two. But then something came up in an interview with Entertainment Weekly um, from Marvel Studios president Kevin Feig. I don't know how to say your last name, boo. I'm sorry. Um, but it's he Feige. said, "Sorry, Feige." Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Um, he said, quote, Okoye, I think I'd watch three action films, just Okoye. I'm not saying that we're doing that, but I'm saying that we're intrigued by them. So for those of you guys who do not see Black Panther, Okoye is the um, Dora Milaje warrior, lead warrior, played by Denai Guerrero. And so everybody went kind of apeshit on <laughs> the social media verse about the possibility of having a Dora Milaje slash Okoye series of superhero-ness wonderfulness. Would y'all go see it? Absolutely. I mean, she mm-hmm. killed it in that role. I mean, I, you know, listen, I do the Walking Dead after show, and I already yes. have been a fan of hers for a for long time. For a long time, yeah. Um, Denies uh, for a long time, and she delivered. I mean, I, all, the entire actresses who played her soldiers too yeah. as well, they all delivered. So yeah. I would absolutely go see it. Would this be more set in Wakanda? Who knows? Because I mean, for me, I, I think the Jeff's Wakanda. like, I'm only going to see it. It was set <laughs> in Wakanda. Well, that was to me the best part of Black Panther. I almost felt like we could have spent more time, more time there. there. Um, no, that's so, so funny because that's what got so much criticism from uh, yeah. people who criticized the movie. That was one of the biggest things. Too much like, Wakanda? Too much Wakanda. Not enough yeah. Wakanda for yeah. me. Yeah, I mean, it's funny. I, ta- I actually saw it with Dario, and I, I don't know did. if I'm allowed to say it. this. I like it. It felt a little too Marvel movie for me. Like I. I think at the end of the day, I don't love Marvel movies, right. so that was yeah. the reason I didn't necessarily. It's their style. Oh, yeah. Gotcha. yeah. If you don't like their style, then you, you know I've heard people say that that they, right. they love the movie, but they just don't like Marvel style movies. Like people don't like Thor because right. of a, a certain style of what yeah. that brings from Marvel. So For sure. Get it? And like, yeah, to me, the best part of it was like how radically sort of 
not white it was. Like that was actually the best part <laughs> for all of us. And, yeah, and us. that's why the Wakanda stuff was so interesting to me. <laughs> right. Um, and so like once it kind of got into like the action sequences and that stuff, I was like, oh, it's a Marvel movie. It is a Marvel. But yeah, that's why I think I'd actually be more excited about a spinoff because I'm way more interested in the culture of like. The, yeah, where Wakanda the warriors then. came from and yeah. all of that. I, I mean, I liked Black Panther. I just think at the end of the day, I'm never going to love a Marvel movie. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So, yeah. But I'm, I see spin-off. I'm just excited that other other races are excited about our black films like we are. Even if it's this one, which is yeah. a, a, you know, a, a comic book uh, theme movie, which it's fine, but maybe one day that'll translate to other types of movies that African Americans put out that people will love. And things like A Wrinkle in Time are yeah. saying a tone for yeah. that as well. So yeah. Or even yeah. like Fruitvale Station. Or Fruitvale yeah. Station. Or like yeah, like Moonlight. Even a, even a you good know? love black story, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. Well and I love big um African American ensemble movies like um like Think Like a Man. Like I actually or those Christmas those, movies. Those tend to be probably more popular with yeah. mainstream, I would Mainstream, think. Because they yeah. have so many yeah. good actors in it. And, and they're, they're just like, yeah, like I, I I love those comedies. The so comedies, yeah. Yeah. For sure. Right. Well, hopefully we'll get to see this. He was trying to be coy about it, but we'll see. All right. So we'll get a little more serious, I guess, today. Um, we're, I, I actually think it's like sort of a celebration. National Geographic, guys, has come forward. And basically, okay, I don't know how to feel about this. We'll get to it. But basically they came forward and their um, editor-in-chief essentially apologized for the racist history of the magazine. And she said, quote, For decades, our coverage was racist. Let's confront today's shameful use of racism as a political strategy and prove we are better than this. And then she went on to sort of explain how they're kicking off a series for a year about, you know, multiple stories about race across the globe. And it starts with their April issue, which is devoted to that topic, which the cover is right there. The two daughters that were um, same family. They were twins. One's white. One looks white and one's black. I believe they're British. I don't remember. Yeah. I remember when they were first born, it was like a big deal because of the difference of the way that they were twins. So she said basically like, you know, we can't talk about race in this time and not admit to the things that we've done Hmm. to sort of perpetuate negative perceptions and negative ideas about other races and not stand up for what we've done and show how we can change that. So a lot of people were super impressed and thought it was really great that somebody stood up and, you know, actually called out some of the things that they did. And they listed some of the headlines that they had used over the years. One of them was quite interesting. This was about the some indigenous people in Australia. And they called, this was a title that was in the magazine back in, this one particularly was in 1916. And it said, South Australian black fellows, these savages rank lowest in intelligence of all human beings. Ooh, wow. And then National Geographic was also known for years they always are covering, you know, these smaller populations across the globe, but they, uh, smaller black and brown populations across the globe, but they never did any real coverage of black culture or black anything in America Hmm. until around the 1970s when they started to do some articles featuring um, actual black people in America. And black people in America were not able to be a part of the National Geographic Society until the 50s. Whoa, that's crazy. So it's a fascinating little, you know, situation. And National Geographic is, you know, sort of a cultural staple in this country. I, what exactly is, when I think National Geographic, I think, like, photographs of frogs by waterfalls. Like, what exactly is it? I mean, when I think of it, honestly, I think of, there are two covers that always stick in my head. It, it was, like, maybe a, 
like an Indian, uh, yeah. young, a Indian young girl, and mm-hmm. she had really blue eyes or yeah. something like that, and they put her I on the cover. I remember that, yeah. And Do you mean then, like Native American or no, like, no, like, like, Indian. like Indian? Okay. Like, yeah. yeah, South yeah. Asian. And then, um, and then like a random lion that they put up there one time. It was like in Africa, the you yeah. know, in the jungle, and they showed like this lion eating some other animal that was mm-hmm. on the cover. Um, I mean, isn't the magazine supposed to be just about kind of worldly culture in, yeah. in, in, in general? Okay. That's kind of know? why it was such so problematic, because National Geographic was very instrumental in sort of shaping American perceptions of global society and what yeah. was happening globally, especially um, through the you know mid-1900s, like through the, I would say from probably like 1930s through probably the 60s, I would say. Hmm. Like they were a huge part of why we thought or how we thought about Africa, India, as you said, like, like, and these sort of headlines and sort of putting, um, indigenous people in sort of negative lights, I guess is the best way to say it, Mm. is how they shaped (laughs) America's perceptions of those places. Yeah. So I think it's really cool that they um, actually fessed up to that. And, And please don't get mad at me. There's also another thing that I remember about it, but I was a little kid. Sex? No, they have sex in the national. I mean, they have a monkey no, having sex. No, that was like once they had a cable channel. I just remember seeing a lot of yeah. African women walking around with, yeah, with, with their breasts yeah. out. Yeah, and it, it was almost like the alternate Playboy in my yep. house. It was like because <laughs> wow. I was the one that my mom had out, so she was okay with National Geographic's, but like my, you know, she couldn't have my dad's Playboys out, so it's like mm-hmm. she, those were hidden. But National Geographic. So essentially, National Geographic, you shaped Ariel's perceptions of titties. Good job. Not just. I mean, let's be clear. Not just Ariel. I'm just saying, if you want me to See, be See, you confuse the whole generation of boys. They thinking they're going to go to Africa and visit, it's going to be titties there for all the time. Everywhere, right. all the time. Right. Sometimes dude butt, too. That's that's true. Yeah. Or, or all but the, or, or the, uh, the tribes with the, any... with, the, with the rings and like a lot of that. And the, like, yeah, yeah. yeah. I remember a lot of those. So, yeah. yeah. But yeah, well, congratulations. I'll be interested to see what stories they tell on race for the next 12 months. We'll see. Mm-hmm. We'll see if it changes the game. All right. It might be. I mean, I love like a good human interest map. Like, I love the yeah. Atlantic is in like the yeah. New Yorker, and it would be really cool if the National Geographic kind of because to me, I've always thought of it as sort of like a photography yeah. magazine. So I'd love to see them sort of, kind of yeah, enter I mean, the world of like actual human interest I, coverage. Like, and didn't they used to have a show on PBS, National Geographic Explorer? Show? Explore, yeah, I used to come on like something like PBS that. But then they had their own cable channel, and that's why I saw I saw monkeys having sex the first time. <laughs> okay. Yeah. See, I don't I don't remember the monkeys. Maybe yeah. I blocked that. Yeah. Part. So they do do a lot of animal coverage, but it's yeah. also a lot of people. And, okay. Well, it'll be interesting to see where it changes. For sure. All right. Is that all of your topics? Today? That's all, folks. All right. We're going to move on to our ER Web Story Spotlight of the Week. Or ER Web Story Spotlight of the Week. All right. So we are moving on. And our first story is actually about Bruno Mars in our ER Web Story Spotlight. So... Obviously, we know Bruno's having a lot of success, um, you know, coming off of, you know, the award shows. He racked up at the Grammys. He is kind of, right now, I feel like America's kind of sweetheart, whether you're black, white, or yeah. whatever it may be. I mean, he can't he can't uh, go any, go wrong right now. Well, that is not necessarily the case, because <laughs> black people are giving him a little bit of um, issues right now, because basically there was an article that was put out, or a conversation that took place about... Uh, cultural appropriateness and a activist uh, by the name of uh, Serene Sensei 
she actually, you can go to YouTube and, and Google it, um, or, you know, Google it and YouTube it. Uh, she was talking about cultural appropriation and, and talking about certain people using that to their advantage when they're not really black. And Bruno Mars' name is one of the people that heavily got brought up. Yeah. And the fact that he is, she feels that he's a cultural vulture. Um, because he profits off of black people and she feels like he doesn't give the props back to black people as much as he should. Hmm. So uh, just so if you don't know what uh, cultural appropriation is, according to the Cambridge Dictionary, it's the act of taking on or using things from a culture that is not your own, especially without showing that you understand or respect that culture. Um, now, we know Bruno Mars is not African-American. He's actually, his mother's Filipino, and his dad is Puerto Rican and Jewish. Um, I believe that he also, ha- he does have a, bl- a biracial son by a black woman, I'm pretty no, sure. I didn't even know I, that. I think that is the truth. Um, <clears throat> it's an interesting topic because, yes, Bruno Mars is not black, but Bruno Mars obviously is very popular in pop culture and black music culture. Do you think that he is using it to his advantage without giving the props back to black people? I'll save my statement and my opinion to the end, but what do you think, Jeff? So I've always had this theory about Bruno Mars. Anthony, can you find a close-up photo of his face? (laughs) I have a theory that he's not actually a person. (laughs) I have this theory that he's a robot engineered by the music industry. Oh, my God. And, like, I'm mostly kidding, but hear me out. Does he look a little bit like a wax figure? Always. I mean, Always. Yeah. yeah. And I really think, like, music executives chose a person who looks like every race. So, like, because, like, he doesn't, that way anyone can identify with him. And have you ever noticed he's so media trained? Like, has he ever said anything controversial or even said anything interesting? The only controversial thing that happens when they found the cocaine on him, I think, in the airport. See, but, I didn't but, even remember that. Yeah. yeah he had a drug yeah. on Just him, so. go watch him in an interview and look for a moment where he shows that he's alive. Like, all of his answers are like, <laughs> yeah, we had a great time making the album and things went well. Like, I just, he's so programmed. Even the way he, and he's so good live. Yeah. Like, he's too good live. I think he might not even be a person. So that's, <laughs> so, and even his music is engineered to pick the best components. He creates the most and I love Bruno Mars but his music is so designed to be catchy pop yeah I just feel like whether I know he's obviously not a robot but he everything about him is manufactured and designed to be popular so that's why he's getting pushback right now is because he's always been pulling from so many influences to create the most appealing and mainstream version of a person that he can that's deep I mean I could understand where you're coming from a little bit yeah uh, as far as like how they not that they picked him in a robot formation, but I mean, it could be some truth to the way that they have promoted him and the, his his look is a certain it transcends across different things. But I don't I don't know. I mean, he just said he had to have the talent at the beginning. Oh, for sure, he's very talented. He's talented. But who knows if he's real? Well, yeah, I mean, come on. <laughs> I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm just kidding. But he do, it does feel like the music industry chose a vessel of a person that would appeal to like both my mom mm-hmm. and like you know. I just feel like. He is such, I'm so not surprised that the industry backed him as their new golden child, as their new MJ, you know? And he is very, very talented, if he's real, but... (laughs) If he's real. I, like, I don't even know how to follow up on that. (laughs) I mean, that was heavy. Yeah, I don't even know. I really (laughs) don't even know. I've always wondered. I mean, it was good. That was deep. Um, I, uh, okay. Uh, Your definition of cultural appropriation, for me, leaves out the element of power, and power structure in culture. And for me, it, 
Bruno Mars is like not bothersome at all. Well, for one, because in my brain, Puerto Ricans might as well be black, black. people because the slaves like, came yeah. and were mixed in with the indigenous people there mm. too. And we're they're Americans, so essentially there are just like there's uh, white Puerto Ricans, there's brown Puerto Ricans, like that are essentially what black people are sure. in the states. Yeah. So that sort of distinction that we like play around with constantly is it just I I, I don't. I don't feel like it applies in this situation. And I know, like, drawing those lines are so impossible in most cases. Well, in a lot of cases, not in most cases. Um, that I think that's just kind of absurd. Um, I don't feel like... I was trying to think, like, when you were saying, like, in his interviews and stuff like that, how he's very robotic. The only times I can remember him speaking about anything is him saying this homage to whoever, whatever artist, or, like, I used to love the Prince, Prince and yeah. OJs Michael or Jackson, whoever, yeah, and that's yeah. what I, whatever. So, for me, when you start talking about cultural appropriation, the issue is more about people, number one, that don't give reverence to who they are taking from, and also they are in a position of power that they are then exalted in a way that an artist doing that would not be. Hmm. So Michael Jackson was still exalted in what he did, and we appreciated that and all of that. So, like, to put... I don't feel like Bruno Mars is playing in that space, if that makes any sense. Like, the best example I can give is, like, the reason everybody, all the black girls, is mad at Kim Kardashian is because she could wear cornrows and everybody thinks it's, like, a new fashion statement Hmm. and we can get fired from jobs for wearing that. So, and she also pretends, like, she'll rename it as something else that it's never been. It's always been cornrows. They decided they were boxer braids and suddenly it's, like, a new thing and it's it's exalted as beautiful and amazing and wonderful. I don't feel like Bruno Mars's music is like, oh, everybody's saying, oh, it's so beautiful and it's so wonderful, but people weren't saying that about Prince and MJ and all of that in the same way. So I don't feel like the cultural appropriation terminology based on where we exist in culture right now applies in his situation really at all. I don't think it applies to him personally just because, to me, he always gives back and gives the props back to the artist that he is is similar to or, 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 or who he emulates their sound like a prince and a michael jackson and that old soulful thing to me he's never act he's never acted like hey i'm black right you know i'm just to me he just has an appreciation for the music and that influenced him yeah Uh, just like many artists you know and at the end of the day i mean for the whole cultural appropriation if we're going to be mad at him i mean we need to be mad at his producers i mean yeah mark ronson is is a producer, a white producer, a British producer, but he has many black producers as well. So yeah. if you're gonna, you, you know, they 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 have put him in the lab as well and created who he is. Mm-hmm. So you can't just be mad at Bruno Mars if you're gonna if you single him out. You, you got to be mad at a, a the record executives who are black who also put him in this game and 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 the producers as well. So you know, I, I don't, I don't, I really don't feel like he's the type of person who's taken advantage of. It. I think just like anyone else would do you ride the wave that you're given and that was his wave that he was given he likes soul music he came in as a soul pop artist he stayed true to that and he does it well and you i i think that sometimes we get caught up in 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 faulting people for something like that when i don't think that he should be faulted for that i think there are many other people who have stolen from us who don't give the i mean 
Elvis, you know, they yeah. get, you know, let's you know, let's start with that's somebody who you maybe want to get mad at, or if you want to get technical, maybe Justin Timberlake. If you want, you know, I was thinking mad JT. At Justin. You know, we're, we're mad at Justin. <laughs> that's why now, ain't nobody you know, listening to that new album, you right? Know, but I mean, Justin Timberlake is somebody that I would say you you would you would get more upset with. Because but do you then? Because he has made it clear growing up in where Memphis that he was like very much influenced and around what he was around. To me, I feel like and, I feel like the content. Like, your words have a lot more impact over necessarily styles. Mm -hmm. And, like, I feel like if Bruno Mars were using the N-word a lot, it would feel a lot worse. You know, he's not singing about the black experience. He's singing about love and and going to Vegas. And he's using, I mean, obviously. Right. Um, And it would feel a lot more problematic if he was singing songs about being black rather than, I don't know. I, I just feel like. And someone brought up the very, very good point is if, if he's not allowed to, you know, borrow from soul, who, what's he supposed to do? Yeah. Is he, he's exactly. not going to write Hawaiian Puerto Rican songs. Yeah. Those aren't going to play <laughs> right. on the radio. I mean, maybe that should be a new trend of music. But, right. You know, I, mean, I just can't imagine like Mele Kamiki Maka yeah. making huge waves on the radio right <laughs> yeah. now. Right, like you right. can't blame him <laughs> yeah. for not like embracing. Right. I guess Havana's doing really well and I love that song. Yeah. I, I, that song has grown on me. I can't lie. I just, it's, he's not a Latin. He's not a Latin artist. Right. Like no. he's not, like that's not his voice. Yeah. So, so he's never. He's never written songs that have social meaning. You know, he's yeah. writing pop, light pop music. So, I don't know. I, I would be a lot more concerned about his content if it was a, a con- like if it was actually about him trying to appropriate the black experience. Yeah. Well, the activist also went on to say Bruno is not black um, at all, but he plays up his racial ambigu- ambiguity to cross genres. Well, but you know, I know we get, but what is he supposed to do? Mm-hmm. Like, he is racially ambiguous. Yeah. Like, he is like eight different freaking I mean, ethnicities. He is. So, and like, he claims all of those. There's no right. playing up when you're just existing as you are. Like, and that's yeah. not your fault. Like, either way we go. And I feel like we, that's the uh, colorism nonsense. Like, we just. I feel like we should focus on something mess. else than Bruno, you know, Bruno I Mars. mean, of all the problematic ish we got yeah. going on, Bruno Mars is, a, if the anything, least. Bruno Mars brings joy, guys. Yeah, I was going <laughs> like, to say, I actually was going to say that. He brings happiness. Just be happy. At least we want to dance when we hear his like, music. You know what I mean? And he's also, he's changed styles every couple of years. Like, yeah. I feel like this newest album is very new edition. Yeah. Whereas, like, two years ago Bobby was Brown, very Bobby Earth, Wind, and Fire. Like, I just feel like... Jeff knowing your Earth, Wind, and Fire. Let oh, me they're find one out. of my favorites, yeah. I just feel like he's... And even at the beginning of his career, he's done, like, sort of that Rat Pack. You know yeah. what I mean? I just feel like... I don't know. I've never felt like Bruno was someone... And again, he always pays homage to these artists. Yeah. He's not he ripping off of yeah, them. Yeah, I don't... To I don't me, at so. least. Yeah. We disagree with you, activists. So, Sorry. you know, keep your argument going. Let us know what you guys are thinking, too. You know, tweet us, um, you know, hit us on the live feed and give us an idea of if you think that Bruno Mars is culturally inappropriate or. <laughs> culturally inappropriate. Inappropriate. Or culturally. Uh, appropriating. Appropriating, right? Exactly. <laughs> All right, we're going to move on to our next topic. Uh, this is an also an interesting topic that's been going on. Um, so, there was a, a article that was published in. Um, Huffington Post Black Voices it was by a, a, a writer by the name of Dee Shante um, she basically was speaking about her experiences in the corporate world and how she's tired as a black woman of uh, having to be what she calls the perfect uh, and the right kind of black girl in the workspace so some of the complaints that she has that she put into the article which you can go to Huffington Post and read the entire thing at Black Voices is that she says wearing your natural curls but not too big so you don't bring attention to your fro 
Don't wear your hair in too low buns anymore. Avoid political conversations by any means necessary. Be stylish, but not too stylish at work because you don't want to bring too much attention to your body and your curves. Be soft-spoken, but not be too... Be soft-spoken, but not too firm or too harsh, because then you're going to be an angry black woman. Uh, don't show any emotions, especially anger and, and irritation, because that still falls under the black woman you know, stigma that's out there, angry black woman and black man. Uh, don't bring too much attention to yourself overall. These were like things that she listed in her article that she said that you know she just feels as a black woman. She's tired and She's exhausted tired. Of, of having to become a different person in the space. Courtney, I'm going to start with you on that because you are obviously an African-American woman who has worked in corporate America and different jobs outside of that. Mm-hmm. What do you feel about the statement that she made? I mean, <laughs> it's kind of funny because when she said she was tired, I just kind of laughed because I was like, am I, like, do I get tired with code switching? Like, because, I mean, it still happens. I feel like we're in a place where it's getting better. Like, when I was rocking a big old fro in a law firm uh, 15, 10 years ago, 10 years ago, yeah. I, I felt differently than I do Like a natural, now. you just had yeah, a natural. Yeah, like I was natural a, quite a while ago before it became like super acceptable again. Right. Um, you set the tone, I get it. No. Sorry. Courtney is such a trendsetter. <laughs> She's though. a trendsetter. Yeah, I yeah. try guys. You know. <laughs> um, but anyway, so I I, I I can see where she's coming from but at the same time, I almost feel like it's just sort of an existence. Like I don't know anything else because I know she goes she talks about her like education experience um through life and everything like that and like I've not been in a black environment since the 5th grade. Wow. So in an all black environment right. I should say. Yeah. So my entire m- most of my education, most of my college education, most of my work experience like I'm in a I would say mixed, but it's not even really mixed. It's primarily white. Mm-hmm. So it sort of feels like that it's just a skin that exists. And it doesn't, I don't, you know, get tired. I laugh, actually, mostly. Um, I feel like if any, at any point, there was, like, grand tension with it, it was probably in high school when I was, like, first really forced to kind of deal with it. Um, and in that regard, it was mostly irritating. But I'm aware that I roll back so as to not... Um, uh, intimidate people and not be too strong black womanish, <laughs> because as soon as there's a little bit of sternness in my voice, people are acting like they scared, and it's like, come on now, we just like when I know that's not the same situation for my other f- colleagues and friends and whatnot. Um, I am aware. I mean, I shift my hair obviously. Um, <laughs> it, it, I had to do it just the other day. Actually, I was meeting a real estate person about something. It wasn't an entertainment situation, and I was kind of like, actually thought when I was getting dressed, like, should I have my fro out? You know what? I'm gonna just twist it down and put it in a bun in the back, just mm-hmm. in case they, you know, can be a little like, mm, we don't know if we want to work with her because she's a little. And, and we're in LA, yeah. so I mean. I get it. I just, and I don't know if it's sad. I don't know if it's, I don't know. I just know that it is. And it's the shoes that we walk in. And I don't know that it can be different. I mean, I think we, I want to hear what Jeff has to say as the white man on this panel. But um, I think it's just a a, a blackness that you're taught, whether you're a male or female. I mean, there, there are certain things that I was taught as a black male to you know, speak a certain way or, or make sure I, I always tell you, you got to be better than the rest because, mm-hmm. y- you know, you got to be better than your white counterpart, no matter what, because you always are looked upon as being lesser than. Mm-hmm. And, you know, whether your speech or how you carry yourself or even like there's black, you know, the, 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 
the angry black man syndrome yeah, for too. Sure. You, know? you, like, don't you don't want to be too, you don't be too angry yeah. or too too intense. You know, so it's like, oh, you're smiling. Oh, he's nice. You know, yeah. so it, I think it's just something that culturally we're just taught from the beginning. My hopes is that things are changing a little bit. I mean, because we've had. You know, obviously talked on the show about even women in, in the military of, 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 of wearing braids or, yeah. or what that's perceived as or people in sports, you know, um, what that's perceived as. I mean, entertainment, you get away with a lot yeah, more for things, sure. obviously. Yeah. So you can, it's like, that's like a unicorn, the, the entertainment business. So right. you, like, that's a whole other different yeah. realm. But corporate America, it is obviously has its own rules and regulations. But I feel like the way things are now, especially with like, the hipster era, era and all that, it's sort of changing a little bit the little way bit. that you're perceived is, you know, maybe not as threatening if you're rocking your braids or, or rocking an afro or, you know, it, mm. I don't know. I wonder. Jeff, are you, like, you know, did, you can be honest, like, yeah. did you ever have feelings seeing someone black in your workspace that maybe had an afro or maybe had braids and maybe felt a little bit more intimidated by them? Or well, the, the thing is, is I've never worked in conventional corporate spaces. So I studied to be a teacher. I don't know if you guys knew that. I did not um, know that. So I can see you as a teacher, actually. I miss it. I, I, I totally used to really like it. You'd be like a science teacher or something. I was English. English. Yes, high school Duh. English. Um, but yeah, my first, um, so my first two years in like the professional space, I was working in a very diverse low-income district. Diverse in the sense of I had black students, I had Dominican students, I had white students. Students, I had, but when you're, I've never worked in a corporate environment, and so there, I, I never really thought. I don't want to say it was colorblind, but you know, it was when you have so much diversity, there's less of a stigma around how people present themselves. I think, and then I moved to LA and got a job in entertainment. And as you mentioned, I think people are less buttoned up about yeah. appearances in entertainment just because. Sure. Our heroes in entertainment. You look at white people. It's Lady Gaga who wears yeah. neat dresses. What to be VMAs different is to be good. Good, yeah. well, right? Yeah. Relatively, because relatively, you can qualify yeah. that. Because it wasn't until I would say probably the last three years, actresses, especially black actresses, are were still told to make sure they have That's headshots true. with you're straight right. hair. Right. Like because, I think I'm wow. referring more to music, but you're yeah. right with acting. So it's sure. it's it's changing, yes. But is it changing? And I always think like. I think it's changing because I think that at least the white people that I'm around are asking questions about things in a way that they didn't before. Yeah. So, and that and that's still friends, so they feel comfortable and they feel comfortable with me and they're like actually and that the idea that they're thinking about it and that that's a conversation cuz I don't necessarily know that this conversation of code switching was really happening with my white friends. 10 years ago. Yeah. Um, so I think in that regard, it's changing. But then I wonder, as black people, if it's sort of, it's borderline DNA at this point because it's existed since we existed as slaves in this country. Um, you had to code, because what was going on in the slave quarters was very different conversation hmm. than what sure. slaves were having with the families that they were enslaved with, too. Um, so I, I don't know if that's a change in black people that can actually... It's so culturally ingrained. It's a just part. a part you know of saying? the black like, experience. It's just sort of a yeah. part, like, will that, is that even adjustable at all yeah. for us? I don't know. I mean, I think people carry stuff. I mean, like, this is a obviously way less um, qualified example, but, like, coming from the Midwest, you can relate. Yeah. You know, you bring some of that culture with you. So, like, maybe the way, like, negotiating or, like, passive aggression. I, I think, like, there's been cultural adjustments I've had to make just coming from a different place. So I sure. I think there is an element of people just carry things with them. And I don't know, I would like to think that this generation is less concerned about, I don't know, I don't know. 
if you how you feel about the code switching thing. I would hope that people would feel safe to be themselves around me, for example. Well, see, that's what I think is interesting. It's not a question of being safe mm-hmm. in your accepted spaces. Yeah. It's the question of when you are, okay, for instance, okay, we still have cops shooting kids in the sure, street right, and yeah. we still really have an address like why is this happening yeah. and everybody wants to say well you know it'll take time and generations and you know and maybe this new generation because they don't see color yeah no because you never actually dealt with why it was happening right. because the people that are doing it are saying they don't see color right. and they are deal- and some of them are the same color as yeah. the people that they're shooting absolutely right? so I think that because I feel like the code switching thing it it, it it starts to move into think issues in terms of class and why we classify people a certain way and your assumption that just like if you're in line in the first class line at the airport, there's been all these stories recently about how like a random like white lady will like bump out of the way and pretend like the black person wasn't standing there, assuming that they would not be in the first class line. So I feel like those small things that just sort of exist in our culture that sort of come from all of this stuff that we carry with us sure. to say that it'll suddenly just be born out of us is a joke like yeah. and I think it's we're kidding happen. ourselves yeah. which is why I think racism still exists so harshly in this country well right. people because people don't want to face it I mean they act like we, we're facing it a lot more but I think people are still scared it's, it's so much easier to be in the land of I didn't see it or I don't I, I, I that it, that's not me that's not my experience mm. but the problem with that is that it still continues to go on because there's still going to be it's changing there's a lot more people who are aware of it like yourself who who you'll teach your kids something different than maybe someone else who you know is t- who how you were taught I don't know how you were taught but I'm just saying in general my parents are super racist yeah, I mean that could be the case you know that could be the case I, I have friends who that. actually their parents are super, super racist, racist and yeah. they're not they're the no. polar opposite of that so you know you, and they're teaching their kids something totally different so that you know that that hopefully will be the case I, but I still think that there's you know there's still going to be people who just are are are, are going to be intimidated by culture and you know that aren't exposed to a lot of things that we take for granted that we are exposed to and they're they're still in the same place of of not being exposed and going to have the same mindset and those people are going to unfortunately d- decrease the percentage of people that are but it, I still think overwhelmingly most people will have it'll be more of people accepting things in the long run. Do you think, because like there was this argument a few years ago about the browning of America and that the browning of America is what's going to finally cure the racist mm. problem because there's so much mixing and sure. intermixing now that eventually be brown. But I've always, I've wondered and I like sort of fascinated by this. It almost makes me wonder why wouldn't it actually make it that much worse? Hmm. Because if we've decided that that's the acceptable form of brownness and blackness what about the people that aren't, aren't that, that. Yeah. and we never address that right so how is that somehow making it better just the assumption that they will finally no longer exist because yeah. but in order for it to continue yeah. to brown like how like that doesn't make sense to me so yeah. i'm always like and then in, interested in a lot in how, of ways in a, in a in sort of a bad way it's still a making benchmark. the a benchmark is making the lighter skinned person of still course. above yes, everyone exactly. else. Exactly. You know what I mean? Like it's still yeah. the same argument that we're having that we've been having for, for thousands of years, years at this yeah, point. Exactly, so yeah. it's uh, I'm I'm interested in that. And then I wonder if Tyra's um, uh, theory will just work out that suddenly because it'll be most people will be brown, then suddenly for the first time ever, just regular black people will suddenly be a 
huge commodity and amazing and hmm. everybody will suddenly shift. I don't actually think that's going to happen personally, yeah. but that was I think the they'll find another race about. to make that the, Yeah. The, the I feel commodity. like it'll still be like white people cuz white people will still be, you know, just as few as the black people hmm. well, that's and then true. the brown people will be in the middle. In the middle. Here's a potentially like hopefully I'm not entering risky territory, but it's okay. Hopefully you are. I know. Yeah. That's what we want. <laughs> so, I feel like when I go to work I'm putting on a performance a little bit. Meaning Everybody here. does. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, like, I'm not, I'm never going to say I'm code switching, but like, the other day, like, my hair is like gelled right now. But like, if I don't gel it, it's kind of wild and curly. And I was like, I didn't gel it the other day. Well, and I was this, like, are you Jewish? Uh, I'm an eighth. Yeah. Okay. okay. Um, but, but like, I don't really identify with that necessarily. Okay. Okay. Either way, I um, was here and um, I knew that Maria was coming in, our CEO. And I was like, do I look. <laughs> Like, I was like, do I look, like, camera ready? Like, presentable? And I don't know. Is there an element of there's just an expectation, whether you're black or white, to meet a certain, like, corporate, like, the American corporate? I think you're in similar territory. I think the difference is is that you're generally not punished for it. Yeah, exactly. Like, it might be like, oh, Jeff didn't do his hair today. You look a little crazy, Jeff. But then if it's Daryl... Daryl's a little hood. Yeah. He might not need to yeah. be in this. Yeah, that's We're, a really good he point. He should be walking in this space. Right. With we me, can't it's have like it in certain meetings. Yeah, it's like oh, Jeff like slept in today. Yeah. Whereas with Daryl, it's like oh, should he be in the office? Like was yeah. he thugging on a street last wow, night? Exactly. Like what? That just made <laughs> a lot of drugs? things. Did he, did he yeah. Sling crack last night. What's wow. <laughs> I get that. That made a lot just make sense to me. You right? know, the yeah. crack, it was the crack part, right? Oh yeah, if that was it. Well, I'm a user. Well, you know, this is a conversation we're gonna have to continue because we got to move on to the last subject before we get out of here. Um, which also has to do with race uh, as well. Because it's Black Hollywood Live <laughs> and what would we be It's if we Black Hollywood Live. Alright, so actor, producer, team Matt Damon and Ben Affleck, um, they have started something that a lot of people are, are starting to include into their, their contracts is a inclusion writer. Um, basically, if you watch the Oscars, you saw yeah. Frances McDermott when she did her acceptance speech. One of the things that she mentioned was that she wanted to start having Studios and production companies have an inclusion writer for females to make sure that they are writers, producers, directors to really, you know, diversify the entire entertainment business. So a lot of people have sort of been jumping on that as well. Yeah. Um, Matt Damon and Ben Affleck are the latest ones because they have a company called Pearl Street Films where they are doing a lot of work and and hiring a lot of actors and, and entertainment staff, producers, directors. And so basically what they said is that moving forward, they're going to ensure, they want to ensure that diversity happens in their company and in Hollywood. So they are including this writer there. Another person who has done it is Michael B. Jordan. He announced that um, he has his company called Outlier Society. Um, He's doing the same thing to make sure that everything is really diversified for women and and, and directors. So if you don't know um, what that, what that means, inclusion writer, it, it, it will help ensure more women and people of color have roles, significant roles within the company. Mm-hmm. So what do you guys think about that? Congratulations. It's about Keep time. It's about damn time. Like, yeah. here's Jeff, like, it's about well, damn time. Words are nothing my, without action. The, the inclusion writer applies to the whole set, right? It's not yeah. just... Because I did have this fear of like, how bad would Black Panther have sucked if they just threw a bunch of white guys in the movie? Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, I was like, oh, shit. Like, I was, it was so cool to see a movie that was just all, like, yeah. or Moonlight, and I was yeah. like, man, I hope... There, you run a little bit of a risk if you're forcing directors, I don't know, to cast a certain... I just think of all these amazing movies of color. I wouldn't want them to be, like, tampered by just forcing... 
even like if you would have put a bunch of Latino or Asian people in Black Panther, right. I don't know. It I would have taken. Away I, I think it. that's casting. Uh, casting is can be a separate yeah. issue. Yeah. I think this is primarily this is about behind, crew, behind, yeah, crew and crew. Yeah. making sure that these opportunities are open. To I love it. Other, yeah. yeah, yeah. It's just casting is such an interesting component of our industry because it, it will always be discrimination based. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like it is. It's the tricky conversation around casting because just if you choose to enter the world of acting you're choosing to enter discriminatory discriminatory practices exactly because they're basing on type but the thing about that is actually that with inclusion writers as more writers and more directors Mm -hmm. and more cinematographers and producers that are from different spaces are getting in positions of power and decision they're going to be telling stories that maybe Matt Damon and Ben Affleck wouldn't tell which then in turn puts different talent in front of the camera because nobody's trying to say or at least I'm not I can't speak for everybody there are some shows that should just have some black people in front of the camera. Yeah. Right. There are some movies that should just have some white folks in front of the camera. Yeah. But there are definitely a whole lot in the middle that could have been either way, but only white men had been working on these things for so many years, and they only saw right. it one that one way. And yeah. let's be 100. I mean, Matt Damon and Ben Affleck need to be doing this. I mean, obviously <laughs> we know that Ben got in, you know, has been in the news with everything with Me Too, and Matt has gotten in trouble with a lot of statements that he's made in regards to say, Me Too, and he was, and, he and when they did the racial in the things in the past, and that whole thing that happened when they had the uh, their HBO production special for oh, Brown. Yeah, yeah, yeah. With Effie yeah. Brown. Yeah, yeah, with Effie Brown, yeah. 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 I mean, let's not forget that. So these two need to be yeah. Yeah. at the forefront of promoting you know, this writer inclusion. Which is really right. interesting, but maybe that will bring them up in a whole new way, and they're going to start yeah. creating some stuff that they never knew they could. Well, what would. people forget is, like, these movies are making money like that's yeah, the thing exactly. is like it's, everybody changes it's when good the speaks, right it's you know? good culturally of course we should be pushing this but like black panther and wrinkle in time are the two highest grossing movies right yeah. now yeah. so like even if you're a racist douche still you should be making these movies anyway because you're i don't know yeah it's just funny. you should make them because it makes financial sense and right. hopefully it will open your soul to not be a racist absolutely douche yeah i'm just yeah. like there's so many monetary benefits yeah to diversity in hollywood yeah i don't know i just like i need i want people to understand that like this isn't it should be obviously priority one is a culturally yeah. inclusive art form, but yeah. like also it's not even a huge risk anymore. I agree. Yeah. Even straight white dudes are bored of seeing straight white dudes on TV. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. Like coming from the horse's mouth. Coming from yeah. the horse's mouth. Yeah. All right. Well, let's uh, get out of here and um, you know do whatever we ever we do we're whatever we're about to do, do. do. Whatever whatever on these do. streets. On man. these streets. <laughs> Go get some car rolls or something. I don't know. <laughs> All right, Courtney, where can people find you? Take this wig off and put my fro back out. Courtney, where can people find you and your new hair? Yeah. And your um, new attitude. My new attitude. I'm going to try to keep it tight. Um, Find me. I don't know what I'm talking about. (laughs) I'm like, what? Like, excuse (laughs) you. Call me. I was thinking about my wig. It's tight. Anyway, um, find me everywhere on the social meds at Stuart Starlet. You guys can find me online at Jeffrey C. Graham, where I host a show where we table read scripts and we're reading a female driven Breaking Bad tomorrow called The Highline. That's exciting. It's really good. It's set in the Ozarks. It's kind of like Winter's Bone if you've ever seen that movie. Yeah. So, okay. And they good. can find oh. your music where again? Uh, <laughs> speaking of cultural I'm not going to let that hey. uh, slide. Let hey, it was it. good. When it's good, it's good. It's hey, good. It's uh, you can find Just it. Just make on... sure you, uh, uh, you know, you applaud your black people that you your stole. Oh, you know, absolutely. Your, your influence. And just yeah. know that I am not in any way taking myself seriously <laughs> with this music. It's uh, Graham Cracker rap. Graham Cracker. Um, on SoundCloud. All right. And, and thanks for having me, guys. I love coming on the show. We love having you. The fans love you, too. You can find me at Daryl Christian on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and on The Walking Dead Sunday nights at AfterBuzz TV and on Broken Famous uh, on Reels Channel. Hey, hey. And uh, we'll see you guys next week. Peace. Bye.
from executives Kevin Undergaro, Dario Kristen, Tiana Hobson, and the entire BHL staff, we would like to thank you for supporting Black Hollywood Live, the first online broadcast network dedicated to African-American entertainment. For questions and comments, contact us, info at blackhollywoodlive.com. Like us on Facebook, tweet us, or Instagram us at BHL Online. And I am the official voice of Black Hollywood Live, Scipio, Instagram at King X Obey. Thanks for tuning in. Is it King X Obey? The views expressed here are those of the host owner and do not necessarily reflect the views of BHL or its owners or principals.